Let's do it. Yeah. Thanks, JR. Good morning, everyone. It's always great to be in Helena, especially in July. How many remember March? You had jackets. It was so cold here in March. And so, man, we went to the uh, Symphony Under the Stars last night. How many were there? How many are there? Yeah, and you're here this morning. You got a double double cup of coffee on your way out. Yeah, that was phenomenal. What a great city. What a great way to bring people together. That was awesome. And they sang about Jesus. That was even more incredible. It's like I was sitting there going, oh, wow. There's one way to get the gospel into people. Yeah, come on, Mount Helena. Well, we had a great time with JR and Brian and I just kind of strategizing, praying for you. And I am so excited about October. Finally, six services on the 2nd of October. Don't forget that. There will be now six services. Sorry, my dyslexia just kicked in. I didn't want to scare you. Yeah, really excited about two services. We are so excited for you. We're going to be praying for you. And uh, if you didn't hear the message last week, you need to listen to it because there is a heart of God that came through JR last week that I think you need to hear. Not just what JR thinks and what the staff thinks and the strategy. It's like, what's God's heart for this city? And it's very simple. He wants to reach more people. He just wants to reach more people. Folks, we don't have much time. When it all counts, it's all about going to eternity with as many as you can get. That's really what it's about. So this morning, we're going to share some things along that line to encourage you. I think it's going to draft well off of uh, what JR was sharing and the vision of what's coming. And this morning, I want to share a very simple message. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. i got to do my own clicker today. And there is a laser beam on here, so if I'm watching. <laughs> How to build anyone's life. How to build anyone's life. Why are we going there? Well, because... The whole idea of building is the very heart of Christ. He said, I will build my church. So we have this word build. The Greek word is oikodome, and it literally means to construct something according to a blueprint or a specific design. Every human, every human, every person here, every person in Helena, every person in Montana, the world, we can go global. Every person, because they were designed by God, has a specific blueprint. There's something specific God designed in every human. That's why we're all unique. And so because God is the builder, then that means when we build somebody, especially in the church, we're building people, we're building lives, we increase their potential, and we don't focus on external things. We focus on what's the process you're taking people through. What's the process? This morning, my question to you would be, what's your process right now? What's the process God has you in right now? What's the building process? You can't fake it and you can't escape it because God loves you too much. He is going to keep building you through all kinds of circumstances. He will do that. So in Ephesians chapter 4, I don't have that up here, but just bear with me. I just want to give you the text. You know about fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This church was birthed on the DNA of the restoration of Christ in five dimensions called fivefold dimensions of Christ that build the church. He gave all them to, verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. The only reason we have jobs, <laughs> the only reason we have ministries is for one focus, to equip you and build the body. So the whole thing is all about building. It's pretty simple. Some of you know I'm based out of Grace Church in Chapel Hill. We have a really good relationship with you. You've met our pastor. He's been here and uh, years ago, we snagged Jason Harris back when he, gosh, we were talking about that the other day, Jason. You were like 25. You got gray hair now, dude. 
It's because of those four little people that were running around with you and Rebecca last night. I saw them. They wore me out just watching them. Jason at 25 came to Grace Church, did a six-month internship, and we sent him off to Romania. And, you know, he knows our church. Our vision is very simple, reaching people, building lives. That's all we care about because that's really the crux of what Jesus died for, to reach people and then build them. Build them up until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So that's the goal. So in doing that, building people's lives, if we're called to build one another's lives, it's anything you do that changes their attitude, anything you do that changes their ideas, their actions, and ultimately we want to change overall their identity. We're out to change identity. You know why? Because the devil originated identity theft. The devil came and stole our identity in the Garden of Eden, and God's been trying to restore it back ever since. And Jesus came to restore who we really are. We call that in theology, original intent. You know, God never changed his mind from the Garden of Eden. God never says, oops, whoops, what happened there? Caught me off guard. No, God always has an original design for everything. And he's bringing us all the way back to full circle. So that's where we're headed. And now we go to Ephesians 5 in the context of Ephesians 4. Therefore, be imitators. Therefore, be imitators. So we're to imitate what, <laughs> what Christ's pattern was in humans, what his pattern was to the disciples. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. He says, therefore, if you take the whole context of Ephesians 4, building the body, building the church, every member supplies, joints, every joint held together by that which everybody supplies. You put that all together and he goes, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Walking around the streets of Helena, going to work, going to the shopping, be imitators of God. That's part of the building dynamic, which leads us to good old Matthew 23. How do you do that? You do it by being a servant. How do you imitate God? Love people, serve them. Watch what Jesus said. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Did you know there's such a move of leadership? There's more books on leadership than anything that's available to both the secular world and the church world. We hear a lot about leadership. We hear in every church I go to, what's, what's the biggest need? Well, we need more leaders. And that's true. We need leaders. We need to raise leaders. But can I tell you something about the word leader? It only appears six times in the Bible. Yeah. The word leader, six times. You want to know how many times the word servant appears in the Bible? 969 times. Do you understand the ratio there? What's, what's the emphasis? <laughs> Six to 696 times. Let me just say it this way, and you're going to hear this over and over. I want you to get this. God never sent people to build the church. Hang on to that. He sent the church to build people. Jesus said, I will build my church, right? I will build it. I will build it. It's my church. So what's our job? Build people. If we build people, then Jesus builds the church. It's really easy math. So here's five things. We're going to give them in just in quick order, and they're very simple, that we need to continually say. Say the word say. Say, yes, you need talking churches. I love what Tyler said earlier. All right, everybody, we're going to worship God again, but use your own words. 
you know, you have to use words to build people. Can I just tell you that? That's the tool. All the five craftsmen of Ephesians 4, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're all distributors of Christos, Christ, into the body of Christ to put Christ in them. And our tool, because it says for the equipping of the saints, the word katartismos is the word for equip, and the root word is artisan, artismos, which means a craftsman. A craftsman builds, but the tools of these craftsmen are words. And we're in a war of words. Everything you battle is a war of words, concepts, identity. Who God says you are versus who the world says you are. Who God says you are versus who you think you are. So we're always in a war of worlds, words, and our words are the tools that actually reshape us and conform us to the image of Christ. So here's some things we need to continually say. Got to be a talking church in this hour to build people's lives. Here's the first one. You got to show people that you care. You got to start out with, in order to get entrance into someone's life and help build them, the first thing you got to show them is you actually care about them as a human. You actually care about them. You actually care the fact that they happen to be in your sphere, in your scope, and you run into them or whatever. They come into Mount Heller Church or you run into them at the grocery store or somewhere in life. You run into a person, and at some point, if you want to help build their life, somehow you got to show that you care. And how you do that is by this one phrase. Use your words now. We used to tell our kids when they're growing up, stop. Use your words. Like we, we can tend to whine to God and it doesn't make any sense. But you know what? God says, listen, I want you to use your words. And you start with this amazing phrase, which is, how are you? Now, there's a lot of ways to say it. You've got to work on your own voice inflections. You've got to learn on which word do I emphasize? Because you could be casual like we are most of the time. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Fine. How you doing? Or if you're from New York, how you, how you doing? How you, how you all doing down the south. How y'all doing? There's a way to say how you how you doing and not and be totally careless. I don't care. I just it's a phrase I'm supposed to say when I see you. How are you? Fine. That's it. There's a way to change that when you look at somebody and say, so how are how are you? No, really, how are you? You might have to say it twice because the thing at first is the cliche. You turn the cliche into a caring statement. No, how, how really how, how are you? How you doing? How are you? They go, hey, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, but how are you? You can work the Holy Spirit into that and make that a caring statement. But really, how are you? How are you doing? This is one-on-one. This isn't, you're not in theatrics. This is like encountering somebody and suddenly it's like, Holy Spirit, I want to help them. How do I care for this person? And you ask them, how are you? Now, every one of these five things, and these are all little short phrases, two, three words. How are you? Three words. But I want to tell you now, there's an obstacle to every one of these phrases you've got to be prepared for. There's an obstacle, and then there's this turnaround that makes a difference in their life. So the obstacle of really looking at someone and says, so how, how are you? How are you? The obstacle is this. You might not really care how they are. You're supposed to say it. You say it. You muster up the courage and go, Okay, I'm going to say it again. No, really, how are you? And then suddenly they start talking, and you go, I wasn't prepared for this. <laughs> how are you? Well, I've had a really bad week, you know, and my, my, my brother, and, and suddenly they start, they actually start telling you how they really are, and you're sitting there going, I wasn't expecting that. And inside you're going, I really don't care. <laughs> I didn't realize I didn't care as I showed how much I cared. So you've got to be prepared for the obstacle. The obstacle is they may actually open up because they might detect some sincerity in you for the first time. 
And really inside they're crying out and they're actually saying, does anybody care? I'm coming in Mount Helena. This is my first time. I'm really nervous. I'm insecure. And get ready for this two services, people, because <laughs> you're going to go through a, a major change to reach more people. You're widening your net. You're going to be catching fish and bringing fish in that you don't get to see every week. You'll be the first service, second first service people. And by the way, you know, when you have two services, the mantra is you attend one and you serve one. Why? Because service is 969 times in the Bible. Just a reminder. And there's going to be times you don't know everybody, and that blows the mind of a single-cell church. And we've gone through this for years at Grace Church. We were up to four services. My gosh, there's people I don't know. I'll never know them. But there's people I'm called to reach. So when you say, how are you, and they begin to open up, you kind of go, ah, <laughs> what do I do? You have to listen. You have to be intent about it because here's the deal. You want to change their life. You want to gain influence. And when you say, how are you, and they begin to share how they really are, suddenly they realize this person cares, and you now have influence in their life. And you change an attitude. See, building oikodome, again, is what? Anything we do that helps change an attitude, change a concept. So the verse that we have from Scripture is Philippians 2, verse 4. Let each of you look not only, say only. It's so easy to come to church and be only about me. But don't come to church thinking only about yourself. That's the other shift. See, if you're going to come in as a servant, the greatest is the servant. Can I just say something to all the mature believers, which is everybody here? Sunday morning doesn't exist for you. Silence. I want this awkward moment. Just, just remember this awkward moment when you realize, doesn't what do I get? No, no longer can you think, what do I get? When I go to church, it's like, what can I do? How can I serve? Because Sunday morning is to reach them, the ones that have never heard. You've heard. If you die tomorrow, you go to heaven. But what about the ones that haven't heard? You know, last night at the Symphony of the Stars, I had an emotional moment, and I didn't dare tell Jr. who was sitting next to me because he's so stoic. I didn't want to show my emotional side. There was a moment, and we were singing a gospel song. It was right towards the end when they sang Amazing Grace. Now, isn't that Amazing. 18,000 people singing Amazing Grace, and they had their phones up, and they're doing this. I'm going, come on. I turned to Jay, and I said, I said look, Helen is becoming Pentecostal. They all had their hands in the Amazing. I go, yes, God. But I had this moment looking and watching them doing that. I said, some of them have no idea what they're doing. They're up there going like this, singing Amazing Grace. Thousands, 18,000 people. And I'm sitting there going, how many really know of his Amazing Grace? How many? And this massive group of people, how many are going to heaven? And that's what's got to motivate you. So let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And you've got to ruminate on that and be aware of that. Let the word work in you, not just boldness, not just raw human courage. But if the word of God works in you, say, God, help me not to look just to my own interests. Pull me out of selfish mode. And get me into others' mode and use me and make me available. And you start praying that way. You actually pray scripture that way. Guess what? God will open doors to people where you say, how are you really? And they show what's really going on. And suddenly you have a voice. You can change an attitude. Wow. You gain influence in their life. I, I can guarantee the next time, if they're a first-time visitor and they walk in the next Sunday and they see you and you see them, they're going to feel so different. You've got to be prepared for the people that have never been to church. Or have never been to this church. I'm coaching you. I'm getting you ready. This is going to be part of how you're getting ready to what? Build people's lives. A second one. A second thing you can say. How many can say the first one? How are you? Ready? Together? How are you? That was pretty good for Montana. That's 
It was kind of flatline. But you got to get the emotion in there. Now, how are you? How, how are you? No, really. Really, how are you? That's good. So you practice that. And the next one is, so how can I help you? Because if you really open someone up for them to share how they really are, chances are what they're going to share is a need. So how are you? Well, you know, my back's been really coming. They're going to come up with something. How are you? Well, in one of those weeks, they might come up with some little trite saying that behind that is like, I'm not doing so good. And if you're really honest, a lot of us in this room, we're not doing so good. We're doing good, but we're not doing as good as we want to or could. And everybody's in that condition. And so you say, so um, how can I help you? How can I help you? Man, does that open something up to somebody. Now, the obstacle to when you really say, so how can I help you? It's kind of like inside you're going, I hope they don't ask me. <laughs> Come on, really? I say, I'm supposed to say this now, but how can I help you? Well, the obstacle is how can I help you? They might actually tell you, and you've got to change your plans. Either later that week or later that month or maybe that day. Suddenly, they're saying, I need help. Thank, thank you for asking. Thank you for caring. And now um, you open from caring to how can I serve you because he that's greatest in the kingdom is the servant. And then you say, so in serving you, how can I help you? And suddenly they go, well, you know what? I'm moving Friday, and I don't have anybody to help me. And I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm all stressed out. And uh, suddenly inside you're going, well, too bad. It's like, sorry, I'm, I'm working Friday. I'm busy. You can't just kind of float away out of that because you've opened something up. So now you become resource man, resource woman. Either you can help. You say, I know somebody. You can say, I can take an hour off. And suddenly you've got a chance to make a difference in someone's life. What's the difference you're going to make in their life? Well, it disarms them to the fact that you would actually help them. It disarms them. And again, it changes their attitude toward these Christians. You know, are they really sincere? These people, my neighbors, you can just do it not as a Christian yet. You can do it just as a neighbor. So it makes you accessible suddenly to a life you were never accessible to. And then they have access to you and your friends and the body. And I've, I've seen so many times when somebody has a real need, and man, all we do is send out a, a text, an email. We get three or four people and rush to someone's aid, and it blows them away. It blows them away. Like, where did all these people come from? I remember when we moved to North Carolina from Florida, and it was such a different, I mean, my wife and kids had never been in the north, in the state of North Carolina. I'd been up there and done ministry and knew. So we get up there, and we had this big moving van, and it was late. It got there like at 11 at night. And I was like, ah, what am I going to do? And, you know, they just put out a call. And this is, hello, before a lot of texting and stuff. It wasn't real popular. And Suddenly, there was like 18 men showed up in car at 11 o'clock at night. They're coming in, and we just sit there totally blown away. And then within three hours, they had unloaded an entire moving van, got everything in our house. And we were just like, oh, what just happened? Do you think that changed our attitude? Do you think that just like, wow, that built us, that built us right into the body quick. And it just showed something of the spirit of this church that we were about to journey with for 20 years so our Bible verse on that is simply 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, every one of you have received a gift. That's the root word is where we get charisma, charis. You have something that God has graced you with. As each has received a gift, use it. How's that for good theology? Use it to serve one another as good stewards of what? God's varied grace. I like that word. 
It's also the word translated in the King James, manifold, the manifold grace of God. Peter used it earlier, uh, or later on, he, he talked about the God of all grace. And, and James uses it when he says, brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, manifold trials. You know what that word means in the Greek, really? It means multicolored. Good stewards of God's multicolored grace. Because in the body of Christ, God is limitless in how he has given gifts to the body because he knows. He knows. Do you know that God knows every single person that's going to start coming in here October 6th? He knows every person that's going to be coming in that's new, that's never been to church, that feels awkward, that feels insecure. And God knows every one of them. And he's already got a matching grace for their trial, their insecurity, because it's in you. You are full of the grace of God. And so God says, as each has received the gift, use it. Use it to what? Serve one another as what? Good stewards of what God's given you. Whatever grace God has given you. Someone comes in, their kid's crying. There's somebody who's going to have the grace that goes, I need to go help that mom. <laughs> Hi, how you doing? Not well. She's like, how can I help? Um, I just, children, let me, come on. Let me help you check your kid. Come on, come on over here. We're going to check him in. Hey, how you doing? You want a cookie? Yeah, I hope you have cookies that day. Anyway, it's like, you want something? And you just say, uh, Suddenly, wow, you're ministering the grace of God because you just have a care about that mom that's struggling and there's no one there to help. You understand? It's just like give what, give what God's given you. If they're having a, a red trial, give them red grace. If they're having a blue Monday. I guess you can have blue Monday. Can you have blue Sundays? I suppose you can have a blue Sunday. God has matching grace for every one of these. So how can I help you and be ready to change your plans? God's flexible. You ought to be too. Be ready to change your plans. Be ready to make an adjustment to show somebody how can I serve you, the love of Christ. So the third one, how are we doing so far? What's the first one? How are you? Pretty good. Second one, this is a tough one. So how can I help you? You're doing great. This is a really easy one. We've reduced it down to two words. The next one is two words you should be continually saying to people to what? Help build their life. And this is, I'm not always focusing on just a newcomer, but I'm talking about someone maybe in your life that you need to build, disciple. Can I just say that's the secret word that we're going to reveal at the end? This is simply about making disciples. And here's an incredible way to help make a disciple, help make a follower of Christ. And it's two words. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. I see the enthusiasm, the genuine, what? I appreciate you. Man, we have such a depreciation for appreciation. We do. We really need to be appreciated. I don't know about you. I love appreciation. We crave appreciation. Starts when we're just little kids and it never goes away. I appreciate you. Well, the obstacle to that is simply being impressed with what somebody actually does. You have to be easily impressed because sometimes we set the, the bar so high on someone's life and their behavior that we just kind of go, well, that's what we expect. Yeah, the least you could do. We've got to kind of lower the bar down and just be easily impressed. Be easily impressed and then express it with people. Learn to express it. You know, it's great training. How many grandparents? All right. And the rest of our future grandparents, we just prophesy that. So grandparents, listen. We suddenly get a revelation when we become a grandparent that we're now easily impressed. The bar that we set for our kids suddenly comes crashing down and grandchildren, 
he'll, he'll bring a little scribble on a piece of paper and go, here, Pop, Pop, I made this for you. And you go, oh, my gosh, that is beautiful. It looks just like me. And like, oh, my, I'm going to put it on my desk. And every time I look, and we go on and on, we're easily impressed. We easily express this crazy little thing that makes no sense to our mind. But see, there's something about the little heart that we go, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Can I have another one? Go make another one. It's like we're so easily impressed, but we're not that so way with other people. And our adult kids don't impress us as much as they used to. <laughs> That's why they gave us grandkids. No, be easily impressed and express it. And express it. And so when you're walking in, the folks that, that make the coffee every Sunday, some of you be really grouchy without your cup of coffee before you come in here. So thank them. Walk over and go, thank you. I mean, be really sincere. Like, thank you. I really need this this morning. Thank you. And every week you're back here making something. Thank you. Be easily impressed with someone that's here every week serving coffee or at the hosting you on the door. First impressions and just being a smile that you need desperately. Thank them. What does it do? Well, people feel a lot of value when you sincerely express thanks. You really appreciate somebody. Somebody's like, they go, wow, they noticed. Whoa, that makes me feel better. They feel appreciated. What does that do? It just switches on more energy to serve. So you build them. You build Christ in them by giving appreciation for them and what Christ has given them. And suddenly they and Christ want another journey together. And man, they walk in proud on early when they're here at eight o'clock making coffee for you. They're walking in with a greater purpose going, I like doing this. Why? Because people appreciate it. How do you know? Because people go up and go, thank you. <laughs> So blow them away. I know it's going to happen. Next Sunday's going to be crazy. No, you'll be at the lake. Well, thank them for the coffee at the lake. You have coffee at the lake? You better have coffee at the lake. <laughs> bring your own thermos anyway. Our scripture on that, Colossians 4.2, very simple. Give thanks in, say in, not for, in all circumstances. You don't give thanks for everything. God, thank you for that flat tire. No, it's, but you give thanks in that circumstance because that's the will of God for you in Christ. You're here this morning saying, I came to church to find out the will of God and just found it. What's the will of God for my life? In everything, give thanks. An attitude of gratitude, we call it. It's a missing link, and it's become trite. And you know what? When you put genuine gratitude in your relationship with God, and I had to go through that. I just told some of the folks, and Brian and I were in South Africa in um, the end of June, and man, I had an attack that I have never had, a physical attack in my back. And I've never had back problems, but this it was... I think demonic and it just tried to cripple me and I was in a lot of pain and I called lots of intercessors and some of you prayed for me and we had our intercessors at home pray for me to begin to turn the corner. But I want to tell you something. In that, I'd never gotten to this point. <laughs> there was one morning I was in so much pain and I had no relief and I just began to give thanks and I'd never done that. I'd never given thanks for the circumstance I was in and the Holy Spirit just put it on me and I was like, I don't like this. I don't even understand it. But thank you, Lord. Thank you for the circumstance. And if I fast forward it, the whole thing was God showed me contrast. Some of the best life lessons come in contrast. God's a God of contrast. And even Paul, as I was led, I was telling Anita uh, yesterday about God led me to 2 Corinthians 12 at the very end, Paul's thorn in the flesh. I was like, I don't want to go here. Holy Spirit, stop, stop. <laughs> he just took and then I was saying, I was staying in Paul Simpson's house, and there's this big bookcase, and one book kind of jumped off. It was like Paul's Thorn by R.T. Kendall. 
okay. And God began to show me the contrast that Paul went through. That in my weakness, he's made strong. My grace is sufficient. I sought the Lord three times. And this is my life in those moments of days where I was in this tremendous pain. And I had to get to the point where I said, God, thank you for the contrast. Because you know what? To this day, every morning when I get out of bed, and it was taking me 20 minutes just to get out of bed, every morning, maybe I missed one or two, but almost every morning now since middle of June, I get up in the morning. This is no joke. I say, thank you, Lord, for painless exit from my bed. Does that sound so small? Not to me it wasn't. To get up in the morning and roll over and get out of bed with no pain, I was like, hallelujah, another morning pain-free. It's those little things that make a difference. Made a difference in my relationship with God. Made a difference. So give thanks in all circumstances. That's the will of God in Christ concerning you. How are we doing so far? How are you? How can I help you? Third one, thank you. Here we go. Here's three. Now here's back to three, three words. Ready? Three words. This shows the power of encouragement. And it's the words something like this. You are amazing. What's your name, brother? Like this. Chad. Chad. I know I've met you before. Chad, you're amazing. I don't know what you do around here, but just the fact that you showed up, you're amazing. No, really. You're amazing. I don't know you that well, but you're You're amazing. What is the obstacle to actually look at somebody and go, you are amazing, without it being trite? Because the obstacle is you're going to have to focus on something that somebody's actually doing and notice what they're doing. And this is maybe a coworker. Maybe it's the same coworker you pass by their desk every day. You're at the lunchroom every day. They do, And you've got to just take time to say, God, help me focus on one person. I want to focus on one person so that I can observe something. And then go to them and help build their life by saying, well, you, you are amazing. You're, you're just amazing. You use those words because the Bible says what? Encourage one another and build one another up. So encouraging someone builds them. How do I build someone's life? Encourage them. Just encourage them. Today, can I just say that? Let's try a little experiment. Don't tell them in the back. But when those children workers come out or when you go pick up your kids, I dare you to go and say, thank you. You are amazing. Because you know what? If you haven't worked back there, they are amazing, right? Come on, all you people who have worked back. Come on, work with a room. What was it, Jeff and Hillary? How many? How many? 18, 19, 20? 21 preschoolers. We're not just talking about 21 fifth graders that are half sane. We're talking about preschoolers. How would you like to go in a room of preschoolers for 45 minutes to an hour, right? They are amazing, right, Rebecca? You know, Rebecca Harris is amazing. She is. Not playing up there. Then you got to have somebody that can direct all that traffic. <laughs> and actually con people, I mean coax people, I mean encourage people to actually go in there and work that 45 minutes. That's amazing, Rebecca. Well done. And now you got to do it twice. <laughs> She's going to be double amazing. But, you know, if you get the spirit in the church going, if you get the, the vision going, we got to reach more people and we want to reach their kids. And you get the vision going that we're not babysitting back there. We are ministering not only to those kids, we're ministering to the parents who are sitting out here and getting a word from God. We're helping build a marriage. We're helping build a family. We're helping release someone's gift. 
because someone else is ministering to my kids and I actually have an attention span that I don't have to have interrupted every eight seconds. Yeah, you're building people. It's amazing. The difference it makes, people really feel supported by you. There's a lot of thanklessness, as we talked about. And when you say you're amazing, they feel the support. Like, wow, you noticed, you cared, and I feel better. You can make a difference. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And here's the last one. I think you're familiar with this because Jan and I talked, we talked about it. And it's used in, it's used in different models of leadership training. It's used in your kingdom, and I, I stole it from somebody else. But it's this nice little mnemonic that we say, I see in you. It's a great little tool. They use, they use it exponential, I think, came out of it years ago, and others use it. But it's something to really put into practice. I know Dana and Cheryl did it in their prophetic training in Dana's book. If you don't have Dana, Easterling's book on the prophetic, get it. It's a wonderful book. So what does this do? Well, one of the ways you can constantly build someone's life is to believe in them. Show them that someone actually believes in them because there's something in them that's worth believing in. So here's this nice little thing. I, You know what I see in you? And it's so easy to pick out the negatives. You don't even need a gift. You don't need a gift to say, you know, I see sin in you. You know what I see in you? Lots of sin. Lots of, lots of disappointment. I'm very disappointed in you. You don't have to have a gift to do that. We're born that way. <laughs> We're born in negativity and carnality and suspicion. That's not a gift. I know some Christians that actually think they have the gift of suspicion. That's not true, is it? I see, you know what I see in you? And see, so you've got to use your words. This is the tough one. I would say the tough one for the end. Because this means you've got to be somewhat prophetic, which means you've got to follow the Holy Spirit, which means you've got to use words that God gives you. Because that is going to be the obstacle to trust God to speak through you. Can you trust God, the very God that saved you, filled you with his spirit, brought you into a family? Can you trust that same God who brought the gospel to you through some other voice to give you a word for someone else? Can you trust him? Because don't you know he so wants to say things to people? God so wants to encourage people and love them as a father. And he needs our voice to do that. And so here we are. Can you trust God to speak through you? That's being prophetic. That's having your eyes open to what God sees in the person. So you pray a prayer. God, open my eyes. Paul prayed for Christians in Ephesus, believers, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they may know the hope of their calling. That's for them. But you know what? You can pray for your own eyes to be enlightened, that you would know the hope of someone else's calling. God, I want to give them hope today. You know what I see in you? I see faithfulness. You can just call someone out. I see that, Janny. You know what I see in you? Really, I see faithfulness. When you're tired, and you say, you know what? Is this worth it? <laughs> can I just have another day off? But Janny Quigley works all week and then puts on a birthday party for her 15-year-old daughter and then goes crazy Saturday serving people and then shows up here early and does worship rehearsal and leads us in worship. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. And I see that in you, Janny. What's that do for Janny? says, my golly, I might do that one more time. I just might get on that stage one more time. Yeah, it builds people. And any, you can say that anybody that's serving, but you can say it to coworkers and friends. You can say it to a family member. Oh, family members. It's so easy to criticize them because we're so close to them. We see all their spots and wrinkles and deficiencies, and yet you say, but you know what I see in you? I see faithfulness. I see, I see such a generous heart in you. 
kindness. Pull something out of Scripture. Say, Holy Spirit, give me something. What's the difference? Wow, people feel supported. They feel so much support, and they feel like I'm empowered now. You just empowered me. Those words I see in you, you know what I see in you? Courage. Man, some of the things you do on the job, that's courage. And like, oh, you go back with a bunch of preschoolers, that's courage too. It's like, you are so courageous. But say something that builds in them. They say, I see this in you. And you don't have to fake it because God will give you thousands of words. I love what David said in Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. He said, how precious are your thoughts toward me, O Lord. If I should try to count them, it's like trying to count the sand in the sea. Is that not amazing? David said, your thoughts toward me, constantly coming toward me, are so precious. And if I tried to count them, it's like trying to count sand in the sea. Does that mean, you know how many thoughts God has toward you constantly? Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And all you got to do is ask for one. Is that not easy? Say, God, give me one of your, one of your thoughts from the throne. What's one thought you're conveying to that person through me? Give me one thought. You know what I see in you? Boom, God goes, oh, I'm going to hold back. I'll, I'll give you one, but I got thousands. God's constantly thinking about you. God's constantly thinking about another person. How precious are your thoughts toward me? There's so many I can't even count them. So just pick one. Is that not easy? One, one in a million thoughts per second and say, God, I want people to be empowered with your word. So here's the verse, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. I know that's easy. You don't have to go to school for that. Website, there's no training. Never train your kids. All right, let's just practice yelling at your sister. Just practice it. What's your biggest beef? And just let it out. No, we, we don't have to practice letting corrupt communication come out of our mouths. It's our carnal nature. But only as such as is good for what? There it is again, building up. Use building words. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. May give grace to those. You see how these all weave together? You want to just give grace. We're ministering the grace of God. Ministering the value of God to people. That's what, how do, you, do you not think that's what Jesus did when he walked around the planet? He was always using words that ministered grace to people. Even the woman caught in adultery at the end of what? The grace. I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. But I don't condemn you. <laughs> How powerful that phrase was. Because don't you know she felt condemned? She didn't need anybody to tell her. And yet Jesus comes. Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. <sighs> Ministering grace. Ministering. You know what I see in you? I see in you holiness. I see the ability not to do it anymore. And he just blew her away. I will build my church, Jesus said. I will do it. You build people, he said. You build people. Jesus will build the church. Jesus builds with amazing infrastructure. Any of you builders and contractors understand that. We have human infrastructure. We have to have human infrastructure. So we need leaders like Rebecca and Jason and Tyler. We need the elders and their wives. We need department heads. And we need people because we need infrastructure, human infrastructure to make this work. We need that. So you have elders and you have leaders and you have department heads and you have somebody in charge of the road and all these things. We have human infrastructure and there's systems that they put into place. So we have systems for discipleship and small groups and missions and teaching and understanding growth track. These are all 
infrastructure systems we need. That's how we build lives. So we say, why do we, why are we always harping about small groups? Because that's one of the ways we make disciples around here. Why is that? Ah, small group, small group. Everybody emphasize small groups because we know when you get in a small group, you get to practice these five things all the time. Hey, how you doing this week? Okay. No, really, how you doing? And suddenly, boom, you're starting to build. See? How can I help you? You get in a prayer circle. Eight people in a small group, you get in a prayer circle. Who's got a need? Well, I have a need. Okay. What's your need? Ba 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 ba. And you go Holy Ghost on them, but deep inside at the end, you can walk out and go, so um, how can I help you? You know that thing you were praying about? How can I help? These are all practical. Or the thank you, or I appreciate you, or you're amazing, or I see in you as you pray. I, know, I, I just see, I see help coming, or I see God's great. All these little things are ways we build people. These are infrastructures, things we do, systems. So the systems that your leaders are putting in place and these new systems coming, so you can handle more people, build more lives, reach more people. It's God's way that he builds the church. Jesus builds the church when we build people, and it's going to take systems. And you all got to just buy into the systems because that's one of the systems God gives is wisdom to leaders, wisdom to the elders. You say, you know what? That's the system. I'm in. If it's attend one, serve one, that's a system. That's an infrastructure coming to you as a body so you can build people's lives. What a joy it would be to come in and say, you know what? I serve at the 9 o'clock and I attend the 11 or the 1045 or vice versa. I attend the 9 and I can't wait to stop and see who's coming into the 1045. So I put my little greeter badge on and I stand at the door. I've just been built up by the word of God and I'm not here for me. I'm here for them. Whew, send them in, God. God goes, now there's a church I can send people to. Don't think God's not watching <laughs> and going, I love what Mount Helen is getting ready to do. He's up there going, I'm going to send people. You're going to win people. You're going to be inviting. You're going to be informing. You're going to be inspiring. Last verse is simply where we started. It's where Jesus left us off at, the Great Commission, right? Because the Great Commission is a people-building command. It's a command to build people. So Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know, disciples don't make themselves. You wish they would, JR, but they don't make themselves. They must be made. They must be crafted. They must be built. So he says, go and make disciples. Of what? All nations. All ethnos. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them two participles, two words of action. They're imperatives in the Greek language. What? As to make disciples, it's imperative that you baptize them. That means you got to get them into the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Salvation, baptism. And he says, and teach them. That's discipleship. Get them in your growth track. Get them into your whatever your infrastructure is. This is how you make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you. Isn't that great? Jesus is with your programs. Jesus is with your infrastructure. Jesus is with your small group. He's with your one-on-one -on -one coffees. Will you dare to take someone to coffee and start with that? So how are you? <laughs> nice try. Try it again. <laughs> Sit in front of the mirror and go, how, how, how are you? How, how are you? How are you? How are Honey, what are you doing? I'm practicing my uh, <clears throat> building thing. <laughs> Do it in the car on the way. How are you? How are you? How are you? Uh, you know, it's just like 
I'm going to make a disciple, by golly. And I'm going to start with, how are you? Right? Why? Because Jesus is with you. He is the ultimate disciple maker. He is with you. So when he gives the command to build someone and teach them and make them a disciple, he says, by the way, I'm doing it with you. You're not alone. I'm with you. Because he's building his church, right? Jesus builds the church. We build people. Put on your tool belt. Everybody ready? Ready to put on your spiritual tool belt? I gave you five tools. Final test. Ready? What's the first one? How are you? Oh, I feel the love. How are you? What's the next one? How can I help you? That's the tough one. How can I help you? But that's the key. That's going to take courage. How can I help you? Then the easy one, two words. Thank you. But not like, thank, thanks. Thanks a lot. Pick up your kid. Thanks. <laughs> out of here. It's like, thank you. Look them right in the eye and go, thank you. can't believe what you just went through. I go through it every day. So I can't, no. <laughs> thank you. Then what? You're awesome. They might go together really well. Thank you. You're awesome. It's like, wow, you're amazing. Yes. See, wow, we got creativity flowing already in the room. You, can, you don't have to use amazing. You can use awesome or whatever. And then what? You know what I see in you? And that might take time to get to there. But at some point, ask God. Say, give me something for them. Because God is so eager to speak to us. And he'll use you. Father, we just come as disciples in process ourselves, but God has ones that want to join you in your great commission. It's a co-mission. We join together and we join with you to go and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them everything you've observed us about life and marriage and family and sincerity and morality. Oh God, help us to teach them all that you've commanded, because we know you are with us. Stop and hold that for a minute. Look to Jesus this morning. Thank him. God, thank you. You're with us. God, you're amazing. You're with me. Mount Helena, he is with you. And these are going to be great days. I cannot wait to hear. So I'll be praying for you and your leaders. Pray for your leaders. I charged them the other day. So make sure you get some serious prayer warriors going into this thing. Because let me tell you, you think the devil wants you to go to two services and reach more people? He's not going, ah, just let them go. You're a threat to darkness here. So get praying. And you've got some powerful prayer warriors in this house. But you know what? Go make some more, Anita. Make some more. Karen, make some more intercessors. Make them. Shoulder tap and say, Tuesday night, my house, get over there. We're going to pray for the two services, and it's going to be awesome. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you.